The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. This podcast is brought to you by the Sun Valley Wellness Festival, featuring the top speakers, visionaries, and practitioners addressing diverse aspects in the fields of body, spirit, and environmental wellness. Featuring keynote speakers, Jewel, Marianne Williamson, and concert with MC Yogi. For more information, visit sunvalleywellness.com. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. My guest today is Donald Altman. Donald is an author, a practicing psychotherapist, and a former Buddhist monk. He teaches neurobiology at Portland State University. His newest book is Clearing Emotional Clutter, Mindfulness Practices for Letting Go of What's Blocking Your Fulfillment and Transformation. A review of the book is in the current issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. That's the March-April issue on the newsstands now. Donald Altman, welcome to Essential Conversations. Well, hi, Rami. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. I wanted to start, before we get into the book itself, just your spiritual journey. Given your name, Donald Altman, I'm assuming you were Jewish at one point, maybe you still are, and you became a Buddhist monk. You're very accurate on that, Rami. Yeah, I, I grew up Jewish, though my family was fairly reform. But uh, I, I went through a, a period of some real challenging times in my life. And I uh, it just so happened to have met a monk by the name of Uthilananda. It was a well-known teaching monk from Burma. I was very touched upon meeting him. He had this wonderful sense of availability and compassion. And, uh, you know, having grown up in the streets of Chicago, kind of a tough neighborhood, I had never experienced anybody quite like that. During this difficult period of my life, I'd always been interested in spirituality and had read uh, a lot of different readings from different spiritual teachers from all traditions, actually. But I actually ordained with him as the teacher in that monastery, and it was a really a life-changing experience for me. And um, then I, I found out I could ordain. It was a period in my life when uh, this uh, job that I had and had big expectations for fell through. And I was uh, kind of grasping and uh, in a despairing time in my life, actually. And then I thought about this monk, and I wondered if there was something that I could learn about my own struggles by going into that monastery and looking more deeply at the mind. And how long was that? You know, I was in the monastery for a period of months. Uh, and actually, I knew I would only go in for a period of time. I didn't go in thinking I would be there for years. I guess that could have happened. But I was very ripe for the experience. And uh, I was in the monastery for about a four-month period. And when I left, I continued to do teachings with the monks. I'm still in contact with some of the monks from that monastery. And I've worked with other lamas and people in the Tibetan Buddhist community. So I've continued to do the work. There's something to be said for being ready for any spiritual experience. Can you Mm -hmm. give us uh, a sense of what you learned? 
Yeah, and actually, uh, you know, I, I had uh, struggled with food prior to that. And going into the monastery, I wondered if I might learn how to moderate my food cravings and work with that. And uh, interestingly enough, you know, in the monastery, you probably know, I mean, uh, the monks would get up at 3.30 in the morning, we'd have a, a breakfast, we'd be chanting and meditating. At around 6.30 to 7, you'd have a small breakfast. And then from 11 to 12, you'd have lunch, and you wouldn't eat after that period of time. And I... So I knew going in that I was going to be challenged, and I didn't know if it was even possible for me not to eat after 12 noon. Of course, you could have a juice or a tea if you really needed it. But anyway, uh, so I went in. I went through this beautiful ordination ceremony, and uh, on the way back, they sent myself and two novice new monks to this one room, and there were three futons, and they said, here's where you're going to be staying. And so I went into this room, and I just plopped myself down on one of these futons, and uh, sitting there suddenly wondering, oh, my God, have, what did I just do? <laughs> and you're really beginning to question myself. And I looked to my left, and I couldn't believe my eyes. There was a little shelving unit to my left. And on this shelving unit was one of those giant Cadbury chocolate bars. And uh, my mind went into war with myself in that moment uh, <laughs> because uh, I had just taken a vow not to eat after 12 noon. And here was this chocolate bar, which would have made me feel a lot better in that moment. Something that in my past history, I would have just grabbed for that chocolate bar or gone out to a fast food joint or something like that. But I had to sit and be present and observe my thoughts. I couldn't do you know, what we normally might do. And I don't know, it must have been an hour or so of just and it was. It might sound, well, that doesn't sound so bad, but for me in the moment, it was, it was, it felt uh, like a torture having to sit there and hear that war going on in my mind. You know, I want that chocolate bar. No, you can't have it. You just took this vow. And, and then after an hour, it was almost like I got jolted. And suddenly, I wasn't engaged in the war, but I was as if I had, uh, you know, it's, you know, like you're sitting in a movie theater and, uh, and you're engrossed in the movie and then somebody turns the lights on and suddenly you realize, wait, I'm just watching this show, this projection. And that was the effect where I actually suddenly stepped back and I watched the voices as if from a distance. And in that moment, I realized that I could uh, I could honor those voices or that part of me that was hungry or emotionally needy for the chocolate bar. And also I could follow the vows that these weren't mutually exclusive, they really weren't in opposition. It's easy to see things as, you know, white, black, good, bad, and, and see the duality of things. But in that moment, it's as if my personal container got larger, and I, I could just hold all of that. And so that was beginning um, uh, of an experience for me into exploring the mind and, and getting some sense of relief from the constant... Uh, uh, war that goes on, I think, in all, in all our minds. And there's some amazing, there's really some interesting research that I even include in the Clearing Emotional Clutter book that talks about that. So it's like resting in the observer consciousness or the observer mind. Yes. And, and not getting caught up in the drama. Of course, if it were me, it would depend on whether we're talking about milk chocolate or dark chocolate. I, I'm I'm pretty, I could have handled an hour staring at dark chocolate. It doesn't interest me. But it was milk chocolate. No, the vows are broken <laughs> as soon as I noticed it's sitting there. So oh, let me funny. let me ask you a couple questions about the book itself and the and the time yeah. we have. So the book is called Emotional Clutter: Mindfulness Practices of Letting Go of What's Blocking Your Fulfillment and Transformation. So I think we have a sense, but you can maybe clarify a little bit about this emotional clutter. 
Well, emotional clutter you know, it can be described in many, many different ways. And the way I talk about it in the book, I talk about old emotional clutter, and that could be uh, it could be family clutter, ancestral clutter, uh, cultural clutter, thing, belief systems that we have, things that block us from really seeing things the way they are. There's also just the clutter of uh, conditioning. So you're, you know, you're conditioned to uh, react when somebody cuts you off on the freeway or you have anxiety about certain things in your life. When we're in transition, we experience a lot of uncertainty, which drives feelings of anxiety. So there's a lot of clutter that can be there with us. Stress creates emotional clutter. If you're having a lot of intrusive thoughts about anything, or even my own thoughts about food and uh, how those intruded on, we're, we're really blocking me from being present in this moment in a, in a, in a clearer, uh, freer way. So I could really participate in the moment. But if you're really blocked from participating, and you have these different filters on, that's a form of clutter. So that's old clutter. New clutter is really, you can think about that as clutter that builds up during the day. And, um, and new clutter is, is also something that we're content with. It's like tartar that's building up on your teeth and you need to, you know, clean it away daily. And so new clutter can be all the, uh, you know, the news media, the technology, things that, uh, constantly, uh, affecting our awareness or affecting how we feel. And there's relational clutter that appears daily. Maybe there are some conflicts with the people you have at work and so on. So, there, you know, how do we deal with the clutter that's happening in the moment and untie those knots before they get clenched? And we, and then we're pulling along a big bundle of old baggage with us. And does it come back to this notion of uh, Cadbury consciousness where, where we can observe uh, the, the old clutter and the new clutter and not get trapped up in it as opposed to try to avoid the news media, which is probably very difficult to do. <laughs> right. And, you know, and that's actually where I begin with the book is just to help people. And I even have a, uh, a meditation I call stop writing the emotional elevator. And so that you don't have to respond to those different buttons that are being pushed, whether it's an external button or you get that new job or you get the new car and you feel great for a moment. Or, or maybe it's an internal voice that says, oh, I did a good job, but things are great. And then there's and that moves the elevator up or maybe it's a, uh, uh, something externally that moves the elevator down. You have a loss in your life or there's a health issue or something like that. Or maybe you have thoughts, you know, I'm, I'm inadequate. I'm not good at this. I'm not good at that. Or you're comparing yourself to others. And so that moves the elevator down. And so. How can we start to just, you say, have that observer consciousness and start to uh, constructively distance or detach from those buttons that are being pushed? It's not and, that they're going to stop, but we can we can notice them and have a, a, a greater sense of freedom. I think that's really important. And, and I hope our listeners are really heard that, that you're not you can't escape from the, the buttons. Right. You're not you're not being manipulated by them. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Because I think a lot of people look at this stuff and think, oh, 
I have to create a life without stress, without trauma, without drama. And that's not, if I'm hearing you right, that's not what you're saying. You're saying it's the ordinary crazy life that everyone else lives, except you're not being, uh, yeah, what battered around. Yeah, by. right. You're absolutely right. And I mean, life yeah, gets messy and uh, that's the nature of it. And so uh, and that's always going to happen. And so we don't want to be enslaved by that, uh, uh, which uh, in turn, and, and I related to brain science, too, about how by making new choices and observing, you're actually creating new pathways in the brain. And that that's a very empowering idea, I think, for people is to know that there's science that shows that where you place your attention and the thoughts you have actually change the physical structure of the brain. So in the beginning of the book, the first half of the book, you pick up the scientific stuff. It was something called epigenetics. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, so help us understand what, what that is and, and how that fits into what we're talking about. Okay. The, well, the idea of epigenetics has been shown to be very powerful. Epigenetics is basically, the, uh, we have the genome, and so that's the hardwiring. You can think of that as the computer of the body, the genome. But the instructions that tell the genes what to do to turn on or off is, is called the epigenome. It actually translates, Rami, as above the gene. And so epigenetic instructions are actually turning our genes on and off moment by moment as, as you go through your day. It's, I mean, it's really astounding. We didn't know this was possible too, not too long ago. But what it means is that how you interact with others, even how you breathe, can turn on different sets of genes related to the immune system, uh, aging, free radicals in the body, and so forth. Now, what the really fascinating thing is, as we alter those genes through our behavior in this moment, and that brings in the idea of responsibility, because how we decide to behave can turn on and off in different sets of genes, that those may be inheritable. Think about that for a moment. So how you eat, the choices you make, uh, might actually ter- change your genes, and then that could be inherited by your children. So in some sense, we are not, you know, when they say the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, we've inherited not just our parents' genes, but probably some of their behavioral patterns. And we're beginning to learn this for the first time. It's a, it's a very powerful idea, but it also brings into the idea of, of freedom here and responsibility. And I think that's the whole idea here is making choices that are uh, more beneficial. So I want to just focus in on one of them and then bring this into the... Yeah the six clutter uh, clearing mindfulness skills that you, you, you teach in the book. I was, I mean, you used one of my little trigger words when you talked about the breath. So uh, are, are yeah. you saying that if I, I, I mean, this, I, I experience when I, when I'm uh, angry, just for an example, if I notice the anger, I, there's nothing I can do about the anger, but if I change the way the anger makes me breathe, which is your usually very short and rapid. If I mm-hmm. deliberately change my breath to something slow and, and deeper, the anger dissipates. Is that kind of what we're talking about when, when we talk about being able to turn these traits on and off? Uh, yes, you're absolutely right. And, and I'll, I'm just going to throw in just a snippet of research about someone, in, someone named Herbert Benson, who back in sure. the late right. 60s, of course, researched, uh, identified what's known as the relaxation response in the body, that when we breathe more slowly, we actually are turning on the, uh, the relaxation system of the body. It's known as the parasympathetic nervous system, and it counters that anger arousal system 
the short breath where you're really pumping out a lot of stress hormones into the body. So when you're taking that slower breath, uh, Herbert Benson has found that it actually changes genetic expression. That's his newer work that came out, uh, has come out in the, you know, in the mid to late 2000s. And, uh, so he's found that it doesn't only takes a few minutes of doing this breathing every day to start making, uh, changes in your epigenetic instructions. But in the moment, what you're doing when you're breathing like that, you're, uh, you're actually bringing your brain and body into balance. You're cooling your, yourself down. When you're angry, the, uh, the brain has a, there's an inner core part of the brain that actually hijacks the thinking brain. It's called the amygdala. It's a very ancient system, and it's meant to protect us. So when we feel threatened or we get angry or we feel defensive about something, the amygdala hijacks the thinking part of the brain, and we get very aroused. And, you're, and in that moment, you're going to have a difficult time really being more rational. But the breathing as, that you do, and you talked about there, actually helps you step back. It brings the thinking brain back online so you can now maybe have a conversation with someone. You can think about what happened in a more uh, rational, uh, cohesive way and respond differently. In your own book, you talk about the six clutter-clearing mindfulness skills. And you use the uh, acronym PAIR UP. Can you run through these with us? Yeah, I, I call them the six clutter-clearing mindfulness skills. And I, I, I've been working with mindfulness for many, many years now. I do workshops around the country and internationally. And I actually train uh, mental health therapists, psychologists, how to use mindfulness interventions. And so I really have gotten a broader picture of how mindfulness can help us pair up in the moment. I, that's the acronym here, is uh, P-A-I-R. UP, so pair up, and as you're going to see, these six mindfulness skills help, help us become a better fit with what's happening. So the first uh, letter, of course, P, stands for present moment participation, um, and that's really critical because if you're cluttered, you can't participate fully in life. You can't really fully enjoy this moment. You'll be stuck in the past or stuck in the future. Like the one client of mine, because I'm also a psychotherapist, one client of mine who I worked with who was on a beach in Hawaii, and he came back to see me, and he said, I wish I was going to call you. I was on this beautiful beach in, on Maui, and he said, I couldn't really enjoy it. I was thinking, I had all these anxious thoughts about things I had to do when I came back to Portland. And so, again, so he wasn't able to participate in the future. So this is a key idea of uh, helping people get more present moment engaged. The second one is uh, attuned acceptance, and there are a couple ideas here. One is uh, cultivating an attitude of acceptance, knowing that we really don't control uh, what happens to us in life. We may have some sense of control, but uh, acceptance helps us weather life's unexpected storms. It brings us uh, a, a sense of uh, a broader perspective, and uh, it helps us actually uh, deal with the more difficult aspects of life. And uh, the attunement part of that means attuning with what you're really feeling, attuning with others, and I think a big part of mindfulness that a lot of people don't always recognize is the co part of it. We are we can co-mindfully experience what's happening. A lot of people think of it as, well, it's mindfulness is what's happening in my thoughts, what's happening in the body, but it's really very much a shared experience. So attuning to others and uh, in such a way that we can support one another, very key. The I in the pair up is intentionality. So here's the idea, uh, Rami, of uh, choicefulness, uh, that even our smallest daily actions can make a difference. Uh, it's kind of like uh, putting a pebble in the water. You notice how the ripples move outward. And so being intentional can help us 
uh, move through our day with greater sensitivity, thoughtfulness, and maybe without creating a big mess and uh, leaving a big mess behind us. So uh, that intentional awareness is, uh, is key to, you know, keying in also to your values and your ethics. And without that, uh, and there's actually a brain that, a part of the brain that's uh, activates that kind of thinking, and it's very human. So we we need to connect with our intentionality. So R is reflection, the ability to look inward and appraise your thoughts, appraise what's happened in your life, and, and uh, very key. The U is understanding of suffering. So understanding what what's happening here, what causes suffering. Sometimes it's desire, sometimes it's craving, sometimes it's expectation. And understanding that can help you step back from suffering. And purposeful partnership, P stands for how do we share, how do we create purpose in the world, how do we support one another through partnering. And uh, so that those are the six. So you really can see that this is, I mean, the book is solidly rooted in research. You've sort of tested it out in your own life. And it's very practical from, from, I mean, I I read the book, so it's very practical. It does offer you these um, tools to actually free yourself from this emotional clutter. So it's a very powerful book. I hope people will will, uh, take a closer look at it. My guest today was Donald Altman. His new book, Clearing Emotional Clutter, Mindfulness Practices of Letting Go of What's Blocking Your Fulfillment and Transla- uh, Transformation, has just been published by New World Library, and it's uh, reviewed in the current issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. You can learn more about Donald's work at his website, mindfulpractices.com. Donald Altman, thank you so much for being with us on Essential Conversations. Oh, well, thank you, Rami. I enjoyed it, and uh, many blessings to you and to all of your listeners. Support for this week's edition of Essential Conversations is provided by Sun Valley Wellness Festival, featuring top speakers, visionaries, and practitioners in the fields of body, spirit, and environmental wellness. This year's festival will be held May 27th to 30th, and it features Jewel, Marianne Williamson, Joan Borisenko, and MC Yogi. For more information, visit sunvalleywellness.org. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Visit spiritualityhealth.com and subscribe to the magazine in either print or digital formats. And download the iTunes app for this podcast. Essential Conversations is produced by Corinne Johnston. And our program coordinator is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Do you ever feel that calling that you should be doing more with your life? If you're unhappy with the status quo, I can help. My name is Elias Patras, and I'm an intuitive motivator, psychic medium, and motivational speaker. I know that feeling, and on my podcast, Your Inner Voice, I can help you answer that call to step into your life's purpose. I will show you how to recognize and listen to the signs and signals that are all around us and help you tap into your intuition. Join me for the show here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect, educate, and grow on this journey together.